This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. By the book on BFM 89.9. Hello, everybody, and welcome to By the Book. I'm Lee Chui Lin. Joining me, as always, is my fellow reader, Shamila Ganesan. Hello. And today we have with us our guest, um, who is the author of The Apple and the Tree, Life as Dr. Mahade's Daughter. We're welcoming Datin Paduka Marina Mahade to the show. Um, thank you so much for speaking with us. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. Um, so we wanted to start with a rather simple question, really, which is what prompted the writing of the book? Well, um, I've always wanted to write a book from start to finish because my past books were all compilations of my column in the star. And so I didn't know how. So I went off to actually do a course on it. Uh, I went to do a master's in creative writing. And then after that, I thought I would, you know, write something. I didn't have a book deal. I didn't have an agent or anything. And I just started writing bits and pieces and then by chance um, Penguin Random House approached me about a year ago and asked me if I would write a book on being my dad's daughter uh, which happens to be a subject that I know quite well so I said yeah so that's how it happened really yeah so that's actually quite an interesting approach to write what is essentially um, also your memoir in some ways, right? It's a specific frame. It's of your life as it intertwines with your father's. Um, were there some some complexities or some amount of um, thought when it came to structuring your memoir this way? Well, actually, um, you know, I, I'm even though I went and did a course, uh, I, I don't really know how to write a book like from a to Z. So basically, I was writing single chapters on events and, and things that I, I remembered. And um, so I did it all like separate chapters, and then I kind of strung it together chronologically. And that essentially was my process. And then uh, my editor sort of filled in, asked me to fill in the gaps that sort of linked one chapter to the other so that it flowed better you know so that it makes sense from going from one one bit to another um but yeah it's um it's uh it's uh i guess a different in a way very similar to what i'm used to doing but also a bit different because it's much longer and more in depth yeah when were you writing the book um because the the book kind of culminates or, or ends in Right after Lanka Sheraton, essentially, so it takes us all the way up more or less to last year. Um, when were you actually in the process of writing the book? Uh, I, like I said, I'd written bits and pieces of it uh, when I was doing the course, which was 2018, 2019. And then when I came back, I was writing other bits of pieces, uh, you know, usually from my childhood and everything. And then last year, about a year ago, when Penguin uh, approached me, and we started talking about a full book. Uh, that's really what when I started writing much more um, recent stuff. And I, I figured that I should end it around, you know, February 2020, um, because that's when all this all these things happen. Um, so yeah, so so some of it was written 2018. In fact, there's one essay that I used for my application to go to 
university. And then some of it was later. And then the later parts were obviously the last ones to come in. Yeah. And what was that process like? The difference between writing something that's more reasoned uh, or even, you know, present day and writing from memory. Actually, it was easier to um, write the more recent ones because uh, for the past few years, I've been keeping a journal. And so I actually had things um, noted down. Um, it's become a habit of mine to, to like journal every day. So, you know, I could just refer to those journals and, and fill in the gaps from what I I you know, hadn't remembered. But the childhood ones were also easy. I mean, I, I don't know. I guess my long-term memory is uh, much better uh, as I get older rather than the most recent memory. So um, that wasn't too bad. And it's, it's, it's really funny how you remember little details from your childhood uh, as opposed to last week. <laughs> but um, so it was kind of a combination. I, I can't really say... But I think the middle parts um, were more, I had to ask, you know, I had to ask my dad what he remembered. I had to ask my friends. I had to ask uh, my brothers, you know, what they remembered uh, to see whether I, I got it right or not. And of course, I had to do some research, read, read up, uh, especially on um, dates and, and uh, events and things, and then kind of put it all together. You mentioned a few times in the book, actually, of finding it hard to or preferring not to disagree with your father in public. And um, I was wondering how that affected the way you thought or wrote about parts of your work and your stance that played a big role in your life that he might have disagreed with in private. Um, no, I mean, I, I, I made a point of never directly criticizing him in public. I would criticize the government of which he was head. Yeah, and I think that's fair. Um, but not to make it personal, like I think you are wrong, you know, in public, because I don't think that's correct. Um, and um, the rest of the time, I, I said what I wanted to say and I wrote what I wanted to write because especially when I was president of the AIDS Council, I was providing a service to my constituents, which is, you know, people vulnerable to HIV, people who are affected by HIV. And I couldn't um, give them anything but 100%, which means I had to tell them the truth. You know, I had to speak the truth, speak their truth as well. Um, and so that was it. Otherwise, I don't think I would have been of much use, really. So you do acknowledge in the book that uh, you had a fair amount of privilege growing up, of course, in your position. How do you think this shaped the choices that you made when um, you are essentially writing a book that is also meant to be relatable? Um, <laughs> I don't know. I think um, I'm, I'm well aware. I'm, I'm very privileged. And I think it would be... Um, I think it would be hypocritical of me not to acknowledge that. I mean, I I don't pretend that I'm, you know, you know, I don't pretend that I come from a poor background or whatever because I obviously don't. Um, I can only be myself. I can only speak for myself. And, um, and, you know, people who know me have no issues with that. And I think that, um, especially when I was working with HIV and I was, working with a lot of people that 
I think most of the general public don't even see or don't even notice or have anything to do with drug users, sex workers, trans people and all that. So I reckon um, if I have no issues working with them and they don't have any issues working with me because what they see of me is what I sincerely um, give, uh, then anyone else above them shouldn't have any issues too. <laughs> Uh, the other thing that occurred to me uh, in the course of reading this book is how um, how early on, really, that you've been in the public eye, that your family has been in the public eye. And I was wondering, you know, being part of that and therefore subject to a lot of... Um, it comes with it comes with all the things you would expect, right? It comes with scrutiny and critique. It also comes with admiration and so on. Um, did it feel like a vulnerable act, therefore, to sit down and actually write this and write some personal accounts of how things were? Yeah, it, it did. I mean, I, I don't know about early on. It's just that my dad was there for so long, and I think people forget that when they say uh, Tun Dr M. Uh, was the longest-serving Malaysia uh, prime minister in Malaysia? They also forget that his family were also the longest-serving or the longest, you know, first family, if you like, in Malaysia as well, and and that includes me. So, I, it wasn't very early because I think I was about twenty-three or twenty-four when it became PM, but it was a really long time—twenty-two years plus, if you include the uh, Pakatan Harapan years, then it's twenty-four. Um, so it, it, it wasn't easy, but then, you know, they say that authors should always write about what they know. And that's what I know. Um, I don't think that this will be the only subject I'll ever write about. I have lots of ideas for other books that I would like to write about. But A, this happens to be a subject that I kind of know really well. And number two, by coincidence, that's what Penguin wanted me to write about. So... There you have it, The Apple and the Tree. Well, that is the book that we're talking about today, The Apple and the Tree, Life as Dr. Mahade's Daughter. We're speaking with its author, uh, Datin Paduka Marina Mahade. Let us know, I mean, is are you picking up a copy? Um, have you read, I suppose, um, are you interested in biographies? You can WhatsApp us 018-789-8899 and tweet us at BFM Radio. Bringing Fresh Meaning. BFM 89.9. Hello, everybody. You are listening to Buy the Book with Lynn and Sharmila. And our guest today, Datin Paduka Marina Mahade, uh, author of The Apple and the Tree, Life as Dr. Mahade's Daughter, which is what we're talking about today. The book kind of explores the ways in which uh, their lives intertwined um, and some of the ways in which there was a divergence. Now, um, I did think that we had to talk about some of the criticism that has been directed towards the book, which argued that uh, there are chapters that gloss over some of the more controversial times in Tun M's tenure as Prime Minister. Um, how would you respond to that? Well, number one, uh, I think uh, most of the people who've been uh, attacking me um, uh, have not read the book. All they've read are excerpts, and the excerpts were not even chosen by me. And then they've been accusing this as a, a big Mahadev family project to rewrite history, whatever. Well, you know, my daddy got the book last week. Not a single member of my family has read the book because I was just so protective of this manuscript that I wouldn't let any of my family read it. Um, so, you know, they don't know anything about, they still, uh, you know, they've only just gotten their copies yesterday. So they don't even know what's in it. Um, 
Well, I don't know whether I gloss over anything, but the purpose of the book was not to talk about the events that happened so much as how it affected me and how it affected my relationship with my my dad in particular, but my 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 mother as well. And so that wasn't the focus of the book because I think lots have been written and everybody has their own interpretations of what happened. And for the most recent uh, bits of it, I was really like being a fly on the wall because I was there. So I'm just talking about who was there, who came, who said what, that's it. Um, and I'm, I'm not saying that this is the be and all of everything. Everyone can interpret it. But the point is, I was there and a lot of the people who are who may have different interpretations were not. So, you know, if they want to talk about their version of things, they, they're welcome to write their own book. So that's actually an interesting, um, interesting thought, right? Because your book does take some pretty significant events in Malaysian political history, um, Ops Lalang or Reformasi or even Lanka Sheraton. But as you said, they are largely through your own personal lens. Um, yeah. Did you have concerns that this might then diminish or skew the events that essentially have had such a wide-ranging impact on Malaysia and Malaysians? Um, you know, when, when my publisher um, asked me to write the book and we were discussing it, I asked her, who is the main character in this book? And she said, you, meaning me. So everything is from my point of view. And yeah, I'm well aware. I mean, I, I, you know, I talk about the 2018 campaign and everything, which I was part of. And I talked about the rest, but the things that happened, um, you know, like I was in Japan and I talked about how my mom came because I was delivering, you know, I was having my baby and how it was so hard for her to be away uh, from my dad during this difficult time. Um, and that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to uh, write something very personal, very close, because that's what, you know, that was what I was thinking of at the time. I, you know, I was gonna have my first baby. I was in a foreign country and all I wanted was my mom. And, and she sacrificed a lot by coming to be with me then. And, and that's, that's basically it. Um, and it, like I said, you know, and I think I say in there that so much has been written about the actual events. I was trying to bring it down to a very micro level, what I was thinking, what I was seeing, um, and that sort of thing. It's a different perspective, yes. But I don't claim it to be the definitive book on everything that happened in Malaysia, in Malaysian politics. I, I don't think that should be on me. Um, I'm not a political analyst. Um, I think we have analysts galore, both professional and amateur, and I don't pretend to be any one of those. I'm just a writer. I want to be recognized actually as a writer more than anything. Um, which I wanted to touch on because uh, we... We mentioned earlier on it, and you talked also about how, of course, you've been a columnist for, for many years, and that's kind of part of what's contributed towards the coming together of the book. And um, as someone who has been writing for a while now, did you find that putting this together um, 
I don't know, you know, changed or, or helped you coalesce like a perception of yourself as, as a writer, like what your identity is as a writer, what your philosophy is? Well, you know, um, you know, I've been writing the column for, gosh, I think about 30 years uh, now. And everyone tells me, oh, you write so well, you write so well. And then when I went off to do my course, I, I realized that, gosh, there are higher standards, you know, <laughs> that I don't quite get there. And so it was a really relearning process. And I think that um, when I came back, if you've been reading my columns in the past year or so, you'll notice that there's been a change in style, uh, very much different because of what I, I learned. So I very much, you know, I love writing. I really do love writing. It's, it's one of those things that um, you sort of feel I, I, I feel I have to do every day. Um, but I don't think of myself, you know, I'm, I'm not part of the literary, literary elite circles or anything like that. I'm, I guess, you know, a lot of real writers consider me some sort of hack. Uh, but I really, I just wanted to, to write something that was close to me, that was personal. And, and it wasn't easy because, of course, it's nonfiction. Nonfiction is far more difficult than fiction. Fiction, I can just make things out, <laughs> you know. This one had to be real, had to be true, uh, and at least factually true. Uh, when it comes to my thoughts or my feelings, that one, anyone can dis dispute it, you know. I could say I was sad and someone could say, no, you were actually happy. I don't know. I mean, they might better than me. I don't know. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's, it's just... Um, I think any writer will be able to tell you that, you know, if you love writing, you just want to write and you want to write something that feels close to your heart. You, you do want to reveal yourself in, in many ways and, and hope that people will judge you fairly, at least fairly, if not um, always kindly. <laughs> So speaking of people, actually, what is it like um, writing about real people, representing real people in your book, um, on your family and, 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 you know, close ones on the one hand, but also in a larger sense, a lot of these public figures and people that are very familiar to everyone else? Um, <laughs> oh, it's, a, it's, it's not easy, for sure. Um, I mean, there's so many characters, right? There's so many characters. I mean, my, my family is already one set. And then there are all the other public figures. And I didn't want to get into a situation where I was um, doing, you know, character studies of everybody, you know? They're, so some of them play a more, more prominent role because they were more prominent. Some are more marginal. Um, so, you know, like I told all my brothers, I say, you're bit players in this book, okay? You're, you're like, you know, just stand-ins and, and, you know, crowd this. You're not really in this at all. Um, because you need to focus anyway. When you, when you write a memoir, you need to focus on what your actual story is. And, and if it moves the story forward, then it gets there. And if it doesn't, then, then you leave it out. So 
I mean, there are probably people that I don't mention, um, which is because they don't move the story forward. That's it. Um, but otherwise, you know, I try and give a fair characterization um, of people as as I relate to them. So, you know, it might be different from how other people relate to them, but that's, that's not the point of the book. <laughs> I will say that Lim Guan Ng zipping off on a cup chai was a very evocative <laughs> image. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think it was bigger than a cup chai, actually. I think, I, <laughs> I think it was a real roadhog. <laughs> oh, I wanted it to be a cup chai then. I think that I rewrote it in my mind. Um, were, there, were there things in the book that you put in um, or wanted to that you then changed your mind about? Uh, not so much that as after I submitted the manuscript, I thought, oh my, I forgot that, I forgot that, I, should I put it in and everything. But by the time I submitted the manuscript, it was 112,000 words and uh, already, you know, a lot. For a book, it's a lot. And so I thought, no, okay, never mind. Um, maybe, you know, another book or something. But it, it just can't go. And I don't think it leaves very big gaps uh, in, in the narrative of what I've written, uh, of what I left out. And anyway, a lot of what I left out, I think, were from much earlier days. So I, think- I, I have a feeling that a lot of people, especially men, will skip most of it and just go right to the contemporary bits. <laughs> I think we're at the point in this interview that we have to ask this. You did mention that your father only very recently got the book. Has he um, read some of it? Uh, has he had any response? Well, he um, he started reading it. Uh, so he read a bit about the the my childhood bit. Um, and then he stopped. And I asked him the other day, like, have you finished reading it? He said, no, because, you know, all these people keep sending me books, Lazila and all that. So I started reading all the others. So no, I haven't read your book. So yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, so oh, well. ultimately then, um, what are you hoping for a reader to take away from this when, when they close the book? What do you want them to, to feel? Number one, I want them to think, wow, she's a really good writer. <laughs> and um and well i don't know number two i i think that ultimately um this uh this started off as very ordinary people who were put into this circumstance uh by people and and as far as i'm concerned i mean it wasn't something i chose right none of the the children of any of these public figures actually chose to be there. And, but we have to handle it. And, and the real test of character to me is how we handle it. We could really do it badly and, you know, say, oh, I'm so-and-so, you know, I'm so-and-so's daughter and things like that. Or we could handle ourselves much better. And that really comes from upbringing. It's how you were brought up. Um, and I think that's that's what I'm trying to say. That's all. You mentioned earlier that you had other projects in mind that you want to keep writing. So what's next? Um, 
Um, I'd love to do a novel, uh, but I think I have to go and learn how to write a novel first because I have no idea how to do it. Although um, the MA I did was in creative nonfiction, which is structured pretty much, I mean, according to the rules of a, a novel anyway, but I still feel like I need some, some polishing. I have some ideas in my head. I'd also like to turn on my dissertation um, into a book at some point. Uh, although people tell me, no, 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 it's too sensitive an issue to write about here. So I don't know. We'll, we'll see. We'll see how it all goes. But let me get over this first book first. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and on that note Datin thank you so much for joining us today oh pleasure thank you for having me we've been speaking with Datin Paduka Marina Mahade um, about her book The Apple and the Tree Life as Dr. Mahade's Daughter send us your thoughts you can whatsapp us 018-789-8899 tweet us at BFM Radio and of course you can write to us at buythebook at bfm.my brings us to footnotes um, and as is usual in the second half or rather in the final bit of our show after we interview an author we usually talk about our impressions of the book so again today we're talking about the apple and the tree life as dr mahade's daughter and um Sharmila, what did you think so if I'm being perfectly honest, and, and I've been reading um, Marina's writing for years, right? Because I was an, I'm an avid reader of The Star. Um, and, I, and I was a big fan of her columns, uh, especially when they were more regular. If I'm being honest, I think this book puzzled me a little bit, mostly because the structure of it is such that it's, it's um, marketed as a memoir, but it's written almost like a series of essays or even a series of columns. And I think I, I wanted it to be a memoir instead of reading like a column. And a lot of the issues that I had with it, uh, which I'll bring up, I think has to do with that, that perhaps um, I would have preferred if it took a more narrative style rather than a more um, essay or column style. I think one of the things that it benefited from uh, by being written in that style though is it is a very readable book so um, I will say that from start to finish um, I kind of swept through it at a great pace partly because of that readability it's a very um, it's a very easy book to read her tone is very um, her tone's very natural you know so you kind of get through you you get all these slices of life as you go along um, I do also think that there is um like you're saying, there is there would have been value in perhaps having a more narrative style, which you actually see employed at the start. So um, the the book itself kind of takes you through different parts. It's it's broken up into these parts, um, and they are bookended by significant events, not always political. I think as we heard her reference there, you know, there's the the birth of a child. There is the, um, you know, a very significant section of the book also dedicated to the Malaysian AIDS Council, for instance. And I think that actually the elements of the book that I enjoyed reading the most are perhaps not the elements of the book that are the more newsworthy, meaning um, the ones that are going to if we look at the excerpts, you know, they have focused on political events in the country. I think, however, the parts of the book that were most um, interesting or most moving tended to circle around family, childhood um, and those sorts of connections. 
Which is why I wish that um, the book actually hadn't been framed in that um, father-daughter relationship and and what that does to um, Marina's life and and where it's heading. Because I think, um, I'm not sure that it benefited from it. I mean, we all know who she is. And obviously, I think we know um, what sort of life that must mean. And I think I would have preferred perhaps to hear it from a more personal, less political, national lens. And that might then, um, that might then prevent the book from sometimes feeling like it goes all the way to a particular point, particularly with the political events or or historical events, it gets right there and then shies away. And I'm aware that it's probably not easy to interrogate or unpack events that involves your own family, um, your father in this case. And so perhaps it needn't have been framed that way. And that would have, I think, made the book um, easier to connect to and, and perhaps less controversial because it has been attracting some amount of criticism, which I don't think is is something that it had to be done because Marina Mahathir has lived a, a very illustrious, illustrious life in her own regard. I think I would have actually just liked to see much more of that. Mm, um, I, I was thinking that some of the um, some of the elements of the book that I felt most immersed in were actually the, like you said, national events but seen through a very personal lens and here I'm thinking of uh, Berse for example and how that how um, her involvement in that particular people's movement really moved her and also you know gave gave a push and gave attention in some ways to the um, to to the coalition so that I think perhaps because it's it's recent enough that it still feels very close to the nerve, but it's also far enough away that we can look upon it with some objectivity. That I I enjoyed reading. Um, The groundswell of support of the 2018 elections, I think, was kind of a beautiful thing to revisit, if rather bittersweet, um, because you know what's going to happen. And so I think it's those things were very much written as uh, what we're discussing, not so much to do with um, what what. Basatu or what Pakatan Harapan may have been doing, but a personal involvement in going on stage, in speaking from the heart, a personal involvement in getting involved in marches, uh, both here as well as abroad. Um, I think that there's a reason why those were perhaps uh, more effective chapters compared to some of the others that looked at um, that looked at what Tun M was up to on the political side of things. So yeah, I think um, while it is. It's a strange thing to say about a memoir, I suppose. Um, but while it is personal, it could have been more personal, and perhaps uh, that's that's something that that's something that I would have enjoyed. I completely agree. Um, you know, I really like the parts um, where she talks about her relationship with her mother, for instance, um, or even um, what it's like to be a child growing up with these huge Hari Raya open houses happening mm. where you live. Um, those parts were really nice, and and I think that. Again, I come back to this idea of um, what's on the cover, how the book is marketed, what a title may indicate, and then what it ends up being. Because even those things that, um, so she says in the in the prologue, I believe, something along the lines of my father and I, um, you know, we always disagree um, and, and there are all of these things. But, you know, that's never borne out in the book. It's sort of like it's never shown. It's only told. Um, and I think 
if you're not going to expand on those parts, so if you're not comfortable, then there are other ways I think that this could have been sliced that would have still made for a very personal and warm and engaging read uh, without necessarily maybe trying to do a little too much. Mm. I I'm, I think I'm curious to see um, what... Uh, what Marina Mahade writes next and therefore how this book will fit into a larger bibliography of sorts because, you know, as um, as we touched on in the interview, right now it sits alongside essentially collections of uh, columns, right, when it comes to her other books, her other works and her larger body of writing. And so, yeah, I mean, again, we talked about this idea of fiction, non-fiction um, or even what is or even the the writing process for exploring one's life, all these different things. I'd be curious to see whether there's going to be a revisiting of some of these events, again, through a more personal lens, um, or whether that will be something we see through fiction or something of the like. Um, but yeah, I, I think right now, going back to what I've been saying, it's a little too close to the bone to to be able to assess where it's going to sit in in a wider library, either from Marina Mahade or in books about Malaysia, in books about specific, um, in books from public figures in Malaysia at pivotal points in our history. I think that's particularly interesting. Um this notion of what else we might see from her because there are so few people in her position, so few women in her position whom we hear from. Um, you know, we are hearing from, uh, we hear, often hear from male political leaders, we hear from male CEOs, we hear a lot of these sorts of experiences. Of course, at the same time, Nazir Razak just has his memoir out as well. Um, so I think being one of the few women who come from political families that have played um I think a larger role in the public sphere. I am definitely interested to see what comes out next from her. Well, we've been speaking about uh, The Apple on the Tree, Life as Dr. Mahade's Daughter. Earlier, we spoke to its author, Datin Paduka Marina Mahade. In this section of the show, we've been talking about the experience of reading the book. Uh, let us know if you've picked up a copy, what you think. You can WhatsApp us, 018-789-8899 and tweet us at BFM Radio. You can, of course, also write to us by the book at bfm.my. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.